Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Church in the Valley. Uh, like Jeremy mentioned, we are really glad that, that all of you are here to, to worship with us. Um, as Jeremy mentioned, you should have been handed a program. And in that program, there's some uh, a listening guide. If you want to pull that out, if you'd like to follow along with today's message, feel free to do that. And you should have had a pen as well. You could take notes if you if that helps you. Uh, you can also follow along on the, the PowerPoint here. Uh, we're in the middle of a series called My Life in Focus, and the idea is to talk about vision, and really vision is this idea of a picture that we have in life, and the picture is really this idea of, of how we think things should be, and there's a quote up here you could see. It says, vision is a clear picture of what could be fueled by the conviction that it should be. Andy Stanley said that. He's a, a pastor and an author, but the idea here is it's, it's a picture that you have that really kind of shows your hope for things. But real vision is this idea of it's not just a picture that you, you have in your mind, but it's the idea that you actually want to see that picture come about. Your hope is that that picture that you have in your head can actually meet reality and it can be true. And so conviction is that idea of I'm going to make this happen. And we started in the series talking about how as soon as you decide to follow Christ in your life and you decide that he really is the person that paints the pictures that we need to adopt in life, it begins with kind of a big umbrella vision. And in the scriptures, again and again, you see this vision, and it is to really to know Christ and to make him known. That really is the ultimate vision, is to know him and to make him known. You can't make him known uh, if you don't know him. And certainly, the goal in scripture isn't just to know him and just keep that to ourselves. Then we talked about how the big vision for life actually trickles into other areas of life as well. And that's really what you find the Christian life is all about. As you learn about Christ and you learn to follow him, um, it really needs to move more beyond knowledge and actually something that we apply to every area of life. And last week we talked about how even our vision for our finances and our vision for the resources that God has given us, uh, God has actually a picture that he wants us to adopt for that as well. We talked about the importance of being generous and how instead of trying to hold on to everything, we can actually be this catalyst in which God uses us to forward his kingdom and to bless other people. Today we're talking really about the umbrella vision, the second half. If, it, if it's to know Christ and to make him known, today we're talking about the idea of what does making him known actually look like? And today we're talking about the vision uh, for church, the vision for what church life is all about. Certainly as you talk about business, uh, the vision for a business should be to make money, Right? If you don't make money as a business, you actually don't last that long. Uh, the vision for a nonprofit is actually not to make money, but it is to offer a service or to help a cause or a group of people. The vision for church, as you dig into the scriptures, is really this idea of it's, it's to worship God, to serve God, and then out of that relationship to, off, to serve others as well. And so church life is really about service. But when you dig into what service actually means in the scriptures, you find that there's actually a specific definition. And you'll see this on the screen, but to, to serve in the scripture means, or ministry means to serve. And it's this idea of to serve as a slave. So when the, the church talks about ministry, it connotates service. And the idea of service is this idea of you're, you're working as a, as a slave. It's, it's hard work. It's work that, that costs you. It's work that... You, you do because it's something you, you like have to do. There's this, you're compelled 
to do it. Now, in ancient times, the idea of slavery was a part of the culture. Thankfully, today, we, we actually don't have slavery. But the idea here is when you're a slave, you, you're compelled to do it because your master has told you to do it. In the Christian life, we have a master who is God, but he doesn't force us to do anything. We, we have a free choice, but you get the sense in which ministry and service is something that, that it actually costs you your whole life. And that really is the picture again and again that you get of what it means to be involved in a church. Now, I don't know about you, but I grew up in church. And as I look kind of as my uh, kind of encounter with church over my life, I think it would exist first and foremost as church when I was younger was a place like to go and like hang out with friends. Right. Like that's what Sunday school is about. Right. You hang out with your friends and you, you know, you learn some Bible stories and then. As I got a little bit older, church became a place, it was still social, but it was kind of, I, I had my own group and I was involved in youth group. And then as I got older, the group kind of changed as I got older, but it was still very, very social in nature. And if you're like me, that could be some of what your view of church is. It's a place that you come and you gather with a group of people. Church can also become a place like it's work. If you volunteer at church, which we have so many faithful volunteers here at Church in the Valley... There's just some Sundays where you wake up early and you're thinking, this feels like a work day. I have to go and work just like I do on Monday. And so church can become a place where you work. Church can become a place where you socialize. Church can become a place that you want to feel good. Have you ever just felt like that? Like, I need to go to church, man. I just, I just need that. I just need to feel a little bit better. Or if you're on the other side, you're like, I need to go to church. I need to feel bad. Now, we don't say that, but sometimes we have this in the back of our head. Our vision for church is, I just got to get straightened out. You know, I, I really don't know what I'm doing in my life, and I, I just need to go to church to figure out how lost I really am, or how confused I am, or just, yeah, I'm still struggling with the same things I struggled last year, which are the same things I struggled with five years ago. And without realizing it, that can be a lot of what church is. I want to feel better, or sometimes I'm just going to feel worse, or I just want to hang out, or... I just got to work. And those visions are are very real to us. But what you find is that if we're not careful, our vision for church really impacts our view of our involvement in it. And Jesus, what he came to do was he came to show people really what the church is all about. And today's vision, I want to tie to a statement that he made to his followers, the people that were Learning about Jesus, his disciples, you may have heard of them before, but it was this group of 12 men who decided that they were going to learn from Jesus. They were going to learn what he stood for, learn what he was about, with really the hopes of trying to be a part of this thing he was talking about, the kingdom of God. And in the beginning, they didn't really know much about that. And Jesus continually wanted them to get a picture of who they thought he was. And what you find is our image and our vision of the church is today still tied directly to who Jesus is. And so we're going to look at the vision that Jesus gives to really paint what is, what's church all about? And if you're new to church, you may be asking that question. If you've been to church a long time, you may be kind of burnt out or thinking like, why, why do I come every week? And there's so much disillusionment that we can face over time. And so the idea of today's message is let's actually get back to the vision that Jesus himself paints. And let's decide today to choose that or not. And so that's where I'm going to be headed in this message. But it starts again 
with Jesus and his identity. And so I want to bring it back to kind of this bottom line statement that Jesus makes about who he is. And in Matthew 20, 28, he says this. He says, just as the son of man, that's him, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So he's giving an initial vision, which is again connected to the the idea of the church. The goal of the church is to serve. Why? Because Jesus himself said that's why he came. He did not come to be served. Most, when they think of kings or leaders, they think of people that want people to serve them, to be loyal to them. Jesus is saying, I'm, I'm flipping that upside down. That's not the vision I have. The vision is that I will actually come to serve you. Not to demand that you serve me. And then he gives a picture of what that looks like further. And he says, and to give his life as a ransom for many. I want to draw your attention to that word ransom. We don't use it a ton. It was an old Mel Gibson movie you may have seen. But ransom, uh, its core definition is it's a price paid for someone captured or kidnapped. That's what a ransom is. It's a price paid. For someone who's captured or kidnapped. And so what Jesus is saying is, I've come to serve, not to be served, and to give my life to those who are captured and ransomed. This idea of they're captured, they're imprisoned, they're, they're stuck. And so you take a step back and you say, well, that kind of goes against maybe what I think the church is about. But it begins with this idea of Jesus saying, it's about serving, it's about giving, it's not about getting. And it's about offering his life to rescue those who need to be rescued. And Jesus continually explains why that is. But I want to just take a step back. And this is like big picture moment. Okay? Because to get to the core of the church, you really have to get to the point of why have a church? What's the point? And it really begins with kind of what Jesus is alluding to. It's this idea that there is people that need to be rescued. And so that's really the vision that Jesus has for church life. And the reason they need to be rescued goes really to the core of every choice that every single human being has. And that really is, who will you live for? We all have that choice. And we all have freedom to choose it. But in the scriptures... Again and again, you see that these two paths, which represent two ways to live. And I just want to walk you through these two ways to live because this mission impacts our vision. Okay, what you find again and again is the mission usually helps you paint the picture of what the vision should be. And so I just want to take it to like the grassroots level of the scriptures and what Jesus says is the two choices everyone has. So I'm just going to walk through that. You may have heard it before. You may not have. But here's the choices we have. In life, I will live either my way or God's way. And it really is those two choices. And I just want to walk you through what our way looks like. So in our way, we're always begging the question, who will rule my life? In the Bible, you find that God wants to rule. He is the king and he wants to rule over everybody in love. But that's his role. He is the king. But in life, we have to choose who the king is going to be over our own life. And it's usually between me and God. And so when I go my own way, I reject the rule of God. The idea is 
I don't want him to be king. I want to be king. And we want to run life our own way. The idea is there's one boss of your life. It's either you or it's God. And every single person has to choose who the boss will be. No one can choose it for you. You have to choose. I have to choose. However, if you choose your own way and you reject God as boss, you find in the scriptures that there is actually a consequence to that. And the result is you're condemned by God. Now you think about that and you think, well, that, that's kind of harsh. How could a loving God condemn me for just taking the freedom which he gave me? And what you find in the scriptures is freedom is very important to God. And because of that freedom, he literally lets us choose who we are going to live for. But with any choice, there's an impact and a cause and effect. And so what you find is being condemned by God is this idea that not anyone else can be king but God. That's the way he's designed the world. That's the way he's decided it has to be. He is the only king. And to try to be our own king goes against exactly what God stands for. And so it just can't happen. So the result is you, you actually face death and judgment. And judgment and this death described in scripture is described as, as hell. And that is separated from God in torment. Now, like I said, this is big picture, but heaven and hell is a concept that we have in our culture. You see it in movies, you see it in the media, you see it in conversations. There's a sense in which there's a place people are going and it's either heaven or hell. And there's different answers or solutions to how somebody gets to one way or the other. But in the scriptures, it's clear. The only way to get to heaven is to go God's way. And I want to walk through that. To go God's way means I will submit to Jesus and we will submit to Jesus as our ruler. There's a sense in which he is the boss. I'm going to make him the boss. I'm not putting him on the throne that he isn't in. He is on the throne and I'm admitting that that is the truth. Because of that, I need to rely on Jesus' death and resurrection. At the core of Christianity is the understanding that there's nothing that we can do ourselves to save us except to choose that Jesus is the only one who can save us. It's not because we're good enough or we're smart enough or we give enough or we have a certain amount of goodwill or good actions or good deeds. At the core of Christianity is the sense that we can only choose God's way because of Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection. The result of this is you actually can receive forgiveness. That's what happens. You're forgiven of sin. And in the scriptures again and again, there's this understanding that everyone has sinned. And really that's ever have done anything wrong. That's what sin is. And I think we could all agree that we're, we're going to divide the room. And I say one room is on the perfect non-sinners. And you could be over here. And then this side is, and I'm not like, this isn't judgment. Okay? But on this side is sinners and those who have messed up. I think we'd all agree that I don't know if any of those chairs would have anyone in them. Because we, we've all sinned. We've all messed up. And really, in Scripture, the idea is we've all tried to be our own boss. That's really what it is. But as you decide to follow Jesus, you are forgiven. Because he's your boss. And you've chosen to do life his way. 
And the result from that is you're actually given eternal life in heaven with God in paradise. And those are really the two ways to live. And they're two paths. And the assumption of that is my own path, if I am my own boss going my own way, it can never, ever, ever save me. My own way, my own path, my own boss, it cannot save me. And all of us, just being human, have started out on our own path. And so what Jesus is saying is that every single human on the face of the earth has to be rescued from their own way. It's not that we all start neutral and then we choose. The nature of sin is we were all born into sin. Because we're all from Adam and Eve and we're all under the curse of sin. Because all of us come from that original act. And it's easy to think in neutral terms like, I hope they'll be okay, I'll be okay. But there's a sense in which the scriptures, these two roads are in totally different directions. And you're either on God's path as the ruler or you're on your path as your own ruler. And what I've just painted, this is what the scriptures I did not make this up. This was actually God's commandments to us. This is what he's revealed to us. But here's the good news. As you can see, it doesn't just end with our way. Wouldn't that be the most depressing message ever? We're all on our road to destruction and there's no way off of it. Would you want to come back next week? If the coffee was really good, maybe. But that's not compelling. The good news is that's not the message of the church. That's not the message of the scriptures. And that's certainly not God's heart for all of us. And so when Jesus says, I came to give my life as a ransom for many, he says that through me, I want people to be rescued. And so at the core of the vision of church is this idea that we are all, if you're a Christ follower, we're on this mission of rescuing those that are behind the enemy lines that are imprisoned and kidnapped and need to be rescued. That's at the core of the church. We're on a rescue mission. That is what it's all about. And Jesus wanted to paint this to his disciples. So he let them know it's about serving, not being served. And my life is about giving it up as a ransom. And then he gives another picture found in Matthew 16. Again and again, he wants those who follow him to be really clear of what to major on. Major on the majors and minor on the minors. That's what always Jesus was doing. He was always clarifying, always explaining, always showing examples. And this is what he says, and I want to share this account. He gives the vivid picture of the mission of the church. And he says this in Matthew 16, 13. You'll see it on the screen. It says, now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say... That the son of man is. So he's just trying to get the sense of what's the common understanding of who I am. Because he's wanting to kind of figure out the hearts of people. Where are people at? What are they going through? What are the things that they're wondering about? He had a heart for people. Because again, he came to serve them. He came to rescue them. Rescue them. And he says, and they said, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. He was a prophet. And others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And then he asks a pointed question. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? And then Simon Peter replied, Simon Peter is a disciple. And he says, you are the Christ, the son 
of the living God. So this identity is very important. Because if Jesus is not who he said he was, then there is no rescue mission. Because Jesus in the scriptures is the only way that we can be saved from our own path. This is a really important question for his followers. Who do you say that I am? It was a test. Have they figured this out? He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And then see what happens next. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. In simple terms, he's saying, Peter, you get it. You get it. You get what it's all about. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church. Now listen to this vision. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. What Jesus is saying is, if everyone is on their own way, and essentially they are destined to be separated from God, they need hope. They need to be rescued. And what Jesus is saying is, through me and the church, we cannot be stopped from rescuing those that are behind the enemy lines. This statement is crucial to all our framework for what being a Christian is all about. And all of our framework for understanding what church is. It boils down to this idea. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Shall not prevail. This statement is his vision, Jesus' vision of what the church is. There's a few things I want to talk about. The first is, again, it's contingent on Jesus' identity. And so we all have to get to a point where we actually believe that Jesus is who he said he was. In the scriptures, he is the son of God. He was sent to rescue us. And we're rescued as we recognize that that is his role and we need to be rescued. Okay? You also find that the nature of the church is spiritual. There's nothing in here where he's talking about, I will build my church. Is he talking about the walls or a building? A church isn't a building. It's actually the people. In the scriptures, the church is really this picture of the called out ones. It's a gathering of people who've been called out to be a part of this mission that Jesus is explaining. That's what a church is. So we meet here in a cafeteria and you probably weren't in any danger of driving by and thinking, oh, there's a church there. This actually isn't a church most of the week. Some of you go to school here. Some of you went to school here. And you may be freaked out that you're sitting here right now on a Sunday. But the idea here is the church isn't the buildings, the walls. The church isn't even the programs that we do. The church is the people, the called out ones. Called out to do what? To rescue those that are behind enemy lines. That's what the church is. And so the nature of the church is spiritual. The second thing that Jesus is explaining in this this verse specifically is the mission of the church is to work under Jesus Christ as he builds it. So there's this idea that if we're on this operation... And this operation is to serve, and that's really to give ourselves to the work that God wants. It's built on this idea, then it is to to rescue people. But I don't know if you've ever heard of somebody who's served in our military. Have you heard that that phrase? I I serve in the military. That's an interesting statement, but that's really part of what Jesus is saying. Many times we think of service as, you know, all the behind the scenes, and certainly there is things that happen behind the scenes that 
any church to make it happen. But at its core, to serve, according to Jesus, and the mission is, you're serving like you would in the military. There's an operation and a mission that needs to be accomplished. So everything that we do on a Sunday to get the environment ready for worship, to have a place where people can gather, that's not the end in itself. The end in itself is, is the mission being accomplished that Jesus came to accomplish? Are people being rescued that need to be rescued? That's the mission. And so the nature of it is spiritual, but we're supposed to work with Jesus as he builds it. And I want to talk briefly about the gates of hell. Now, I don't know about you, but we don't talk a lot about hell. But we all have kind of a vision of hell, right? Every Halloween, that vision maybe get a little, you know, you always see devils kind of walking around Halloween. And you may watch a horror movie and they've got depictions of what kind of Satan could be or hell. And, and there's this thing of just can be a fuzzy, evil, weird, dark place that's led by this guy with like horns, a pitchfork and like a tail. And that's a vision we have. But in the scriptures, the hell, hell is actually displayed as a place of torment. And the reason it is a place of torment is because you're separated from God. And it's a place where there is no rescued once you're there. There's no chance of being saved once you're in hell. And that happens at death. And so the only way that we can really get a vision for this operation is to understand what people's own path leads them to. And the idea of hell in the scriptures is the place that you would want no one, I mean absolutely no one, to go. That's even a phrase that you find. People command people to go there. But when you dig into what actual hell is, there is no even words to describe it. We don't even fathom what it's like because here on earth, God's hand is still here. His presence is still here. But in hell, the description is there's just this emptiness, this darkness, and this suffering that cannot be quenched. And so when I think about hell, it compels me that I, I need a better vision of what we want to rescue people from. If hell is not really a place, or if hell is a place where it's just it's kind of where you go when you die, then why be compelled to rescue people? But in scriptures, hell is a place that we would want no one to go. Because being separated from God is the worst thing that one could ever experience. And that is the goal of the church. So all may know how to be rescued. Now I want to show a picture of kind of the reference point that Jesus was alluding to of the gates of hell. We don't really have huge city gates anymore. We have maybe gates around houses, but they're kind of weak. But here's some gates. That's like a depiction of what would be like the city of Babylon. So people had a reference point for what these gates looked like. Now, if you look at those gates, those, those are pretty meaty gates. Go to the next picture. So this is really this idea of when Jesus was talking about the gates of hell, he's talking about gates like this, not like picket fences. He's talking about a structure to keep people out who want to come in and to keep people in from going out. That's the picture of hell. Satan is manning the gates. 
but it's completely defensive. We're just going to hold our ground here, make sure no one can get out and make sure that no one can get in. And so what Jesus is talking about is this reference point of people that have this picture of their head of gates. And you think of the, the, the purpose of the church and you think of all the people that are going their own way. And you can be overwhelmed by the fact that how can we help? The world is just going astray. And how can we help people? And Jesus is saying is even though these gates are fortified and even though these gates are strong, And even though you did not build the gates with your own hands, these are spiritual. I am building my church. And these gates will not stand. That's the hope that we find in Jesus Christ. So it truly is this rescue mission where we're trying to pull the people inside the gates out. And the only way that they can be rescued is through Jesus Christ. That's the only term of release. Why? Because Jesus is the ransom. There is no other way that people can escape. Jesus Christ is the ransom. That goes back to what he said in Matthew 20. And so what you find is the church is the called out people to share this message for all those who are behind those gates. And what Jesus is trying to do is give a vision for the people that this is a battle. Life is a battle. And Jesus expects his followers to battle as he builds. We're actually not building the operation rescue. It's not our operation. It's, it's God's. And he sent his son Jesus to pay the ransom so people can be freed. But what we're expected to do as the church is to fight this battle, and it's in the spiritual realm. And for Christians, I just want to paint some of the battles that we experience in our own life. If you're not a Christ follower, you may be thinking, is he saying that I'm on a path that leads to destruction? In the scriptures, the truth is yes. But the fact is, every single one of us have been on that path. And again, it choose, the choice comes down to how do we get off of it? And a Christ follower is somebody who has admitted that the only way off that path is through Jesus Christ. But as a Christ follower, you still have problems and you still battle just even in your own mind. A Christian is someone who's admitted their sin and they've been forgiven. They've decided they've messed up. There's nothing they can do to save them and they've admitted that they need help. But a Christian still sins And if you're sitting here today, we also know that that's true. One of the biggest reasons people don't want to be rescued is because they think, how would I go onto the path with these Christians when they're worse than my friends who are not? And that's like a common theme you find. Christians are hypocrites. Christians are judgmental. Christians are no different than anyone else I've ever met. And sometimes they're worse. You find that a lot. And so one of the battles Christian has is you mess up and you sin. And so one of the things that you battle is this idea that I can't help anybody because I'm screwed up. How can I help somebody when I sin and when I say things I shouldn't say and when I do things I shouldn't do? And what happens is you disengage from the battle because we just think I, I can't fight. I've lost too many. And we just we disengage. So that's, that's part of the battle. The other part 
that we all just struggle with is the sense of like this vision a lot of times isn't clear in our mind. When you picture driving in your neighborhood and where you live and when you drive to work, what's the environment that you picture? You know, you see people in houses with their families and everything that you see is what it is. But spiritually, the picture is this is a battleground for the souls of people. And we have an opportunity to be a part of God coming in the flesh through Jesus and allowing them to find an escape. This is something that's just, it's not kind of on my mind a lot. And I'm sure it's not on your mind a lot, but there's a sense of what do we see when we encounter people? And all this is going on. And so begs the question, are, are people in need of saving? And then the question is, well, who... Who are Christians to say that they need to be saved? What you find in Scripture is actually, again, this is not our mission. This is the mission that God has given us. And He's the general. And we're the troops. And we just want to be a part of a rescue effort. Not to conquer anyone. It's actually to offer the ransom of Jesus Christ so they may be released. is very compelling because you have to get to a point where you take a step back and you decide am I going to be a part of this mission is this going to be true of my own life and if you're not a Christ follower you have to get to the point where you admit do you have to be rescued the only way that you can commit your life to Christ is realize that you actually need to get off the path that you're on And so we each have to humble ourselves, every single one of us. And then, for the people that have decided to follow Christ, it then begs the question, then what is your life about? How does that change the way you interact with others, what you give your time to, what you give your energy to? If this is what's going on, behind the scenes spiritually, there's this cosmic battle for the souls of people's lives. How does that actually impact us? And we each have to decide that. Well, I want to close out with just some encouragement for the battle. And this goes back to what Jesus says. But the first thing is we, we don't fight alone. It's easy to think in terms of this is like a Lone Ranger fight. I'm just going to try to help the people in my life. I'm going to try to help my coworkers. I'm going to try to help all those around me, my family. And I want them to know about Jesus Christ. That can become what we say. But what Jesus is saying is you're actually not fighting alone because who is building the church? Jesus, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So we don't fight alone. Why? Because Jesus is the general. Two, we exist in the church. The called out ones. It's a group. That's what the church is. It's a group of people who are trying to be a part of this massive rescue operation. And so we're not, we're not alone. But the second is as comforting. The reason it's important that we're not alone is because we actually have the power of God. And that is God's power is greater than his enemies. That's the point Jesus is saying. And in 1 John 4, 4, you find this. It says, little children, you are from God and have over, 
overcome them. But I do have little children. It's a sense of you still realize that God is, he's your father, he's your master. And there's a sense in which you depend on him for everything. That can be a vulnerable spot. What the scripture is saying is, little children, you are from God and have overcome them. All the, the problems, all the powers of darkness, you, you've overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. That's really a reference to Satan himself. So he who is in you is Jesus Christ. Why? Because you've decided that he's the ruler of your life. And that's where God enters. And he begins to be the boss. What the Bible is saying is if the, Jesus is your boss, then nothing can overcome you. I was thinking, if I started this message with the idea of a mission that you had, would it change if you had a, a task or assignment, and I'm talking like a big task, a big assignment, would it change your view if I told you as you embark on it, you will not fail? Think about that in your own life. Have you ever done anything where you know for sure you're not going to fail? I don't have many things. There's always like, well, it could go good. It could go bad. It might happen. It might not happen. I felt the sting of disappointment when I thought something was going to happen and it didn't. Or when I thought I could do something and I failed. I felt that. What the scriptures say is, as you embark on this mission, there's going to be ups and downs, but overall... God is rescuing. He is drawing. And it's by his power that people can change. So as I was driving home, I I was working at Starbucks this morning. And as I was driving home, it hit me. As I'm driving, and I'm just entering my neighborhood, and I pulled my my car into my driveway. You know, this vision just, it impacted me in a real way. Because what I thought is, I have all these people around me that I interact with. And how does God want to use me to give them the, mes- the message of how they can escape the path that they're on? And it wells up questions like, well, what if they don't want to escape? What if they're perfectly fine with where they are? The other question is, there, there's nothing I can do to convince somebody that they need to be saved. But again, the scriptures are saying it's the power of God that changes people. It's the power of God that changes us. It's also the power of God that draws us. So my part is, I just need to be willing to look for the ways in which God wants me to share this operation that he's given me. And so I I just want to encourage you, no matter where you are, if you've never nailed it down to decide that you need to commit your life to Christ, You can decide today. You can decide that I am on my own way, going on my own path. And it leads, if the Bible is true, it it leads to hell and separation from him. So today you just might need to decide it's time for you to commit your life to Christ. If you've done that before and you're a Christ follower, it may be today that, that you really need to just reconnect to the vision that God has for your life. It's far more than the work you put in, the money that you make, the relationships you have. It's actually connected to a giant rescue that God wants us to be a part of. So his vision for us compels us to do something far greater that we can do by ourselves.
And in closing, I, I just want you to kind of just consider that in your own life. There's some next steps that you can take today. I'm not going to take the time to, to, to go through those. They're on the back of the connection card that Jeremy had you fill out. So if you want to glance at those, uh, feel free to mark one and fill out that connection card if you haven't yet. I'm going to invite the band up and then we're going to sing back to God. And really, as we're singing, we're proclaiming that he is the one that can save us and he is who he says he is. So the offering is going to be received in just a moment and you can drop that in there. Let's pray together. God, thank you for Jesus and the vision that he gives us and really for the hope that we have that church is so much more than what happens in this 65 minutes, but it really is how you're drawing people to yourself and how you desire to take people from the path that they're on and allow them to find new direction and new hope in you. God, I pray for anyone here that's not decided to follow you, that they'll really consider and ask the question if, if there's anything holding them back, what, what that is. And for those people that, that do follow you and have decided to make you boss, give us this vision in our mind daily so that we can see not just what is physical, but what's going on in the spiritual realms as well. And so we ask for your help in this, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks, Alex. You stood 